Carl, I think it's the summer of the Chris's. What do you think? The summer of Chris's? I hope not. I know, because we got Chris Pratt, Chris Hemsworth, and who's the other Chris? Chris, Chris Evans? Steakhouse. Chris Evans, I I, I was yeah. Hoping, I was hoping it was going to be Chris's Steakhouse. I thought maybe we were getting a free meal out of this. <laughs> I wish we do have oh, Chris Pines bracketed spring and fall, but no summer. So that's right. That was my point. Chris Evans is in Lightyear this week. So the summer of the Chris's. We'll get right into it with Lightyear. We'll talk to JC Corcoran, our special guest today. Then around minute 17, cha-cha real smooth. Around minute 23, good luck to you, Leo Grand. Around minute 27, Elvis. Around minute 46, Halftime, the J-Lo documentary. Around minute 51, Hustle. And then Illinois College Talk from the 1970s. And then around one hour and two minutes, JC's going to tell us all about K-Wolf. Hi, JC. Hello there. By the way, is that a good place to start about this uh, alleged uh, controversy regarding Tim Allen? Yeah, it is. It is. Did you did you see it, JC? Uh, no, but I saw the controversy about it. And... Uh, you know, everybody is just assuming that uh, Tim Allen being a staunch conservative and Hollywood doesn't like conservatives. And so even though, you know, Tim Allen had done the voice of Buzz Lightyear all these years for like, what is it, 20 years now since they've been making these movies and all of a sudden he's not in and people just assumed that it was politically motivated. And apparently it's not. And it just basically said we needed somebody goofier than Tim Allen. We needed somebody who could play well you saw it would you know it, it's it's the opposite of that they said tim allen is too goofy and lynn oh. i don't know if you would agree with this there is a place in this movie for tim allen there is a 100 actual place where tim allen's voice would have been perfect and i'm there there are several things that went on here one you can say that tim allen's role as buzz lightyear in toy story 4 was very diminished from the previous three movies. And two, you can see what the creators were going for. And then after you cast Chris Evans, you could see them going to Tim Allen saying, hey, we do have a smaller part for you in this movie. And he would be, mm, I'm good. So I could see yeah. some of that happening because <laughs> they, it is. I'm good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Linda, would you agree? I would agree with that. Uh, I think this is my take on it. It's not the toy Buzz Lightyear. This is the movie that the toy came from. But this doesn't. But it's really... not. The, it's not. The, there is no real Buzz Lightyear. It's like a Flash Gordon or a Luke Skywalker or Elliot from ET. It is not. It's you're you. There is no Buzz Lightyear. Buzz Lightyear is a character. Right. Chris and Evans it, is playing. Right. And therefore it has no connection to to any of the to the real world movies. at all. Now, Disney, not I, I thought this would be like a big spoiler, but so many people are confused about this movie. Disney has so mismarketed. There are going to be people that get fired for the way that they have handled this movie so incorrectly. The, all the trailers are wrong. They finally came out two days ago and gave you the first five seconds of the movie, which if they would have said six months ago, there would have been no problems at all. And the the first five seconds of the movie are just opening titles. And they say in 1995, 
Andy bought a toy from his favorite movie. This is that movie. Now, JC, doesn't that make more sense than what they've been not saying so far? Yeah, I guess it's uh, controversy on top of controversy on top of some sort of misdirection. Stupidity. And uh, you're right, though, the marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All Once right. they start messing with time, though, um, they do have the first lesbian kiss. Okay. In the it's, Pixar. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. Yes, no. she. it's not that it's it's really not much. And but if for you're Pixar, upset, women, there, there's so women many kissing, women kissing is not a big deal. You know, women kissing is not a big deal. Men kissing is a big deal. And that's not in this movie. And if that's what if that's the thing you take away from this movie, you have not you're not paying attention because there are so many other weird things about this movie. They have met every single trailer that you've seen for this movie does not explain. And it's not even like normally the trailer shows the first 10 minutes and then you get surprised with all the stuff. They give you the story, but they don't give you the whole story. And I think it, the trailer, if you're expecting a planet of the apes type thing where he leaves and then comes back and it's a different world. That is also. Oh, great. Give it away, Carl. Nice going. But I didn't give away planet of the apes because I gave you the misdirection in there. Hey, JC, huh. did you see the movie interstellar? Well, wow. Matthew McConaughey. Matthew. McConaughey, yeah. Very That's, meta. Christopher Nolan. It's Christopher Nolan's one where he goes and visits his own self and gives right, 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 right. It's it's okay. not good. Well, this is basically that plot pixarized, and mm. I think it's way too confusing for kids. Uh, I was at a theater with the public, and there were quite a few restless kids in that audience. Well, they also thought it's going to hit every quadrant because, you know, Toy Story came out in 1995. This is the 26th Pixar movie, the fourth, fifth. No, it's the fifth. Sorry. Fifth Toy Story movie. And it has nothing to do. Uh, this also is upsetting. It kind of contradicts. You know, there was a whole Zerg plot line in Toy Story 2. It kind of contradicts everything that happens in that movie, which Toy Story 2, some people think that's the best one. And I think so. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't care about all the continuity because it is a children's movie. But, you know, you know, you mentioned the kids being restless. Neither one of you are probably old enough to remember this before they had uh, you know, people were interested in audience research right from the beginning of, you know, large entertainment venues. And they were trying to figure out what is really connecting with people. And they used to have something called the foot shuffle index. They actually had the floors sort of wired in a way that uh, they would bring audiences in. In particular, you mentioned this about the kids. And if people were shuffling their feet a lot, it meant that they were bored or that the movie, for whatever reason, was not holding their interest. And it was like, yes, we have a foot shuffle index of 37 here, you know, that sort of stuff. And that was what they used for research. I checked my watch around uh, 85 minutes and it's only a hundred minute movie. Yeah, I was wondering that, too. It gets I think it gets too in the weeds. I think that it starts getting really uh, technical. And I don't think that's the intention of the movie. But the plot starts getting a little too 
meta. And then once they start messing with the time travel and trying to explain things, I was like, this is going on way JC, too Time long. travel makes Lynn's head hurt. So because yes. <laughs> she, then she like starts to become a physicist and go, well, that's impossible. It's, you just let it let time well, travel. I've had go. it explained to me. I've had it explained to me a million times where they, they you know, supposedly NASA did something where they sent something around the world. And when it came, when it, when it went around the world coming and, and, and came back and landed, it was like a minute earlier than when they right. shot the thing off or something. I don't understand how that proves time travel, but that's why they have the job and I don't. And so Lynn, did Buzz, that make your head hurt? It did. I almost texted you and said, my head's hurting here, Carl. Because <laughs> what did you, did you like Scott Bakula, St. Louis homeboy, Scott Bakula in quantum leap? Yeah, no, that just oh, that man messed with me. <laughs> the uh, as much as I like, was that on right after Miami Vice or right before Miami Vice? It was, was after. It Miami. was after. It was after. After Miami because um, oh Miami, no no, I meant like my I I thought you meant like on the same night. No, no, because Miami yeah, yeah. Vice was Friday. Miami Vice was Miami Vice was Friday because I had yeah. just had Tim. And everybody stayed home on Friday nights to watch Miami right. Vice, remember? Right. And and we were all like, and then you started seeing the people pull, pushing up their blaze, their white blazers and no socks and the loafers. And then the t-shirt, the, the Don Johnson t-shirt, you started seeing the guys and the, you know, it Bob's was crackhead. Yeah. So like Jay was, Leno said, uh, Jay Leno said that we're the, uh, it was the only TV show where the cops are dressed nicer than the drug dealers. Yeah. Mm. And the music we're going to, we're going to get to the eighties music near the end here, but uh, I was just, the voice cast is fine. Chris Evans, Uzu, uh, Uzo, Aduba, uh, Kiki Palmer, Bill Hader plays the rookie. Well, he's barely in it. Well, Hater can do anything. I'm I'm convinced Bill Hader can do anything. When when he launched Saturday Night Live, I had an interview with him maybe two months after the announcement. And I said to him, I said, What are you gonna do? He goes, Oh, I'll find something. And within a year, he was like one of the hottest commodities in Hollywood. They got him doing everything now. And the way I you know he's a dramatic the, the, actor now. Well, yeah. And, you know, the Saturday Night Live audition process is legendary. I mean, we've all read about it. We've all heard about it. We've all heard interviews and stuff like that, where you come out there and there's like six people sitting in the audience and there's like no reaction whatsoever. And you're out there trying to be funny. And, you know, comedians feed off of the audience interaction and they're, you know, how they are responding to the jokes but you're up there and nothing's happening, but there are legendary stories about um, certain people who did the audition where somebody did laugh. One was Jimmy Fallon when Jimmy Fallon auditioned and he did his Adam Sandler. Apparently Lauren Michaels just went Pwah! like just the only time ever it's happened. And then the other one was when Bill Hader threw his voice on uh, his audition for Saturday Night Live and Tina Fey, she blurted out, she laughed. And apparently those are the only two reactions anybody ever got. But Bill Hader, I'm, I'm, this guy's going to win an Oscar someday. He's already got an Emmy for, and 
and Barry's not a comedy anymore. Barry, Barry is a straight up drama yeah. now. There's very, nothing funny. Very right. dark, very, very dark. Mm-hmm. But the I haven't yep. finished this season yet, but uh I think that Bill Hader, he started making those indie movies. He was in the twin movie with Kristen Wiig, and he was very good in that. And then he did that that awful movie with Jessica Chastain and James McAvoy, uh Eleanor Rigby. Oh. Which oh God. That was really strange. Well, how great was he in Trainwreck, though? I mean, he just looked yes. like oh. he was looks like they wrote the script with him in mind, you know. I know he played the doctor and he was so funny and yeah. charming and sweet. He was great. Now, now I remember his when when they brought three new cast members and he was one of the three and then one left real quick, but he was one of the three people and they did that Vincent Price Halloween special or something and right. he did his Vincent Price and he did Pacino I believe that same episode James Mason and James Mason yeah. and it was like <laughs> no this he, guy he was really good and, and apparently Lauren Michaels yeah Lauren Michaels reaction to that was. He said it was very good, Bill. But why now? <laughs> Just like, well, yeah, he likes these old voices, these classic old guys. Yeah, which was good. And and, and they this, also yeah. they also have Taika Watiti in this playing a very Taika Watiti. I I can see what they did. They said uh, we should get a Taika Watiti type, and they said uh, he works for us. Why don't we just get him? Yeah, and mm. then Josh Brolin is Zerg. I yeah, thought that reminded me of something, but it just gets to be so complicated for for Pixar. But I will say the animation is next level because it's Pixar. It's brilliantly colorized and it's dark because we're on another planet and we're dealing with Scott, you know, and the whole time warp thing and there are also stay till the very, very end. There are three post credit scenes. There's a mid credit scene, a post credit scene, and then a post. You think it's over. Luxor Jr. bounces out and then the Disney castle happens. There's another scene after that. So well, this is this is the first spinoff for a Toy Story character. So we will see where it goes. But to me, Pixar keeps raising the bar. This is middle. This is there. There are 26 movies. This is like, you know, 13 or 15. But also it's it's not like it's good dinosaur monsters university. So it's it's middle. By the way, by the way, and again, I digress, but you brought up something really interesting, I think, because this is the sort of quirky stuff. I just I don't I I enjoy getting into discussions with stuff about that. that sensation you just talked about that phenomenon of stuff that happens after the movie so like the credits have already rolled in some cases and there's still some movie after that now i remember obviously one of the big ones was ferris bueller's day off when he came back out and he said you know go home the movie's over but before that i can remember in the 70s they did um what was it Smokey and the bandit that series of movies oh they, where maybe the, that was over the closing credits they would show the outtakes yes right yes you're right that was that but before <laughs> that they, they, i can't, didn't they I can't remember it? that ever happening before yeah didn't they i'm trying to remember on snl before that like, oh yeah they, like they, dom they deluise and all those people <laughs> <laughs> just... yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Like Bobby Moynihan or something. Uh, yeah, but before but before that, I don't ever remember. I mean, that was sort of 
you wouldn't do that. You know, the people who made movies in the seventies, they were still caught up in the sanctity of the motion picture process. And that was sort of like, uh, you know, you don't do stuff like that. It's, the first, it's like the movie's over. The first film to feature a post-credit scene is the silencers from 1966 featuring Dean Martin. Seriously. Oh. Yep. And then no recollection Helms? of that at all. Was that Mad Helms? Yes, it was a Mad Helms movie. Yep. Wow. And, and then the Muppet movie had one at the end where Sweetums, ah, comes, that's funny. Sweetums comes in and, and tells everybody to go home. And then Airplane had some. Remember, Still JC, the-, the airplane? Because the, the, he's the taxis at the very end. Oh, right, right. He's got the, what's his name? It was Howard something or other. He was the big uh, uh, anti-tax guy back then. Yeah, I can't remember his name right now. Yeah, that's a good call. Good call. Thank you. Very good. Uh, I know Carl's uh, uh, encyclopedic brain. I cheated on the Matt Helm one, though, but I knew the other two. Well, the the movie of the week that is most surprising to me is Cha-Cha Real Smooth. This is a delight. Wait, hold on a second. Th- that 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 movie's your favorite movie of the week? Yes. Okay. Uh, it was the audience award winner at Sundance. So comparisons to Coda are inevitable. It's not as dramatic as Coda, but it's a, a kid coming of age at a crossroads. His this kid, this is his second feature after the <laughs> expletive deleted house from shit house it it was it was called shit house i saw it and he was too old to play he wrote it and he wanted to be in it he was too old to play the character that he was playing which was a college kid and it was a it's a coming of age story i remember it but i'm glad i i knew he would do something better and i'm glad he has done something better yes so cooper rafe he wrote directed and is the actor in this he plays andrew who has graduated from tulane with a marketing degree and he moves back home with his mother played by leslie mann who is relevatory in this movie she's so good and her his stepdad played by brad garrett and he's this total dorky no sense of humor guy that's very by the book you know like well this is what you have to do in life it's kind of like the class the plastics part of (laughs) of the graduate so he's living at home with his (laughs) little brother and he's working at this fast food place called meat sticks which is hilarious wearing the vest and the visor and everything so he goes to a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah. I like that right there. Wait, wait. I like that right there. Meat sticks. Because now my imagination is running away with me. Because, you know, it's not like uh, beef jerky or anything like that. It's something much more vile than that. Meat sticks. Okay, go Yay. ahead. I know. And so he's, he's you know, back home. He doesn't want to be his girlfriend. A Fulbright scholar has uh, moved over to Barcelona and he would really like to be in Barcelona, but he has to work with meat sticks. So here you go. So uh, <laughs> he, takes his, he takes his brother to a, a uh, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, and he's just, is it a boy go- or a girl? 
the first Boy. one I think is a girl, so it's a bat mitzvah. Bat. But mm-hmm. the uh, so this this guy Andrew has this knack of getting all these awkward 13 year olds out on the dance floor and goofing with them and making them less off, you know, less self-conscious. And the moms are so taken with his charms that they ask him to be like the party host of their child's bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. So he spends the summer uh, in front of a mic, getting everybody to get on the dance floor, and yeah, hence the title "Cha Cha Real, Real Smooth. Smooth." That's that's a line from the Cha Cha Slide by DJ Casper. You know, right. everybody clap your hands, and then that's right. a line from the song. So he meets Dakota Johnson, who's a mom of an autistic daughter, played by Vanessa Burghardt. It's her first movie. Fabulous, and so it. This goes Isn't this like, like the third time that uh, Dakota Johnson's played like a mom in these movies? She's. Yeah. Yeah. So what's what's different about this is on paper, it looks like this is the standard formula comedy drama romance, but it's not. It has all this quirky stuff and it just goes in different directions. And he bonds with the autistic girl and and Dakota Johnson's a single mom and she asks him to babysit her and she's got a fiance. So this is going to create some sticky situations because Andrew falls hard for Dakota Johnson's character and he's dealing with his little brother and his mom and he just doesn't want to, you know, you don't want to be at home right after you graduate from college, but there you are. And so he, he goes on job interviews and it's just, it's just like a crossroads type of coming of age movie that is so charming. I can see why it got the audience award. And I, is can she, see- is she better than she was in lost daughter or is she that mopey or is she? No, no, but she, you know, she's, she's more like peanut favorites. butter Falcon. Yeah. She's, she's peanut butter Falcon. Good. So, uh, cause you don't see, like her. I don't like her at all. I think she's bland. I think she uses these facial tics that drive me crazy. And I think that she, but you liked her in peanut butter Falcon. And I did like her in peanut butter Falcon. And so she's, I don't have problems with her here because of her character. And I just think it goes in different directions that you do not anticipate. And it has real heart to it. Well, and she's it's on Apple TV plus. So it, starting today, so you can watch it there. Right. And then we have another movie. I call it the Emma Thompson sex movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is going to raise eyebrows, but it's not what you think it is. It is a At lot least of eyebrows. <laughs> she's she's not naked. No, she is. What? Um, yeah. And now I'm intrigued. Yes. Okay. It is called Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. And uh, she plays a widow who has never been, shall we say, fulfilled. And uh, she's got a bucket list of things that she wants to happen. And uh, she hires a sex worker who is Leo Grand. And uh, she's super uptight. She's this ex, she's a retired religious education teacher that would make her uptight and she uh hires this guy they meet in a hotel she's just this bundle of nerves and 
And so they start talking and he's very handsome. He is played by Daryl McCormick. He is relatively newcomer, but he's on Peaky Binders. And so he's quite, so he has to relax her and make her share. And so they get to know each other. It's a lot of talk at first, but then we get to the nitty gritty. Now, Lynn, your idea of naked and JC's and my idea of naked are <laughs> probably vastly different. I know. Well, there's a scene where she's full frontal looking at herself in the mirror. All right. Now, now I. Carl's just been disabled. Hold on. This is on Hulu. It's on Hulu. This is a Disney thing. Yeah. And it is written by a woman, directed by a woman. Uh, Sophie Hyde direct Hyde directed it. Uh, I just forgot the screenwriter. Um, Kate. So wait, that's Katie okay. Brand. Get back to the naked part. Yeah. Okay. So this thing is, you will think it's not a porno. It's not a porno. Just remember that. It's but more about, frontal is pretty rare in mainstream. Well, Emma Thompson too. She's wonderful as usual. She. Well, wait, off, wait, 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 wait. How does she look? Well, she looks pretty damn good. For a 63-year-old woman, I bet she looks pretty good. Yeah. And it's all about this woman learning to love herself, learning to love, learning to go for what she wants. She had a 31-year marriage where the guy was like, got on top, did his, what she called, did his business, rolled over, went to sleep. That was her sex life. So she wants more. She makes this list, her bucket list, and she tells the guy, this is what I want. And uh, it's all about coming to terms with what she's been missing in life. So it's a sexual awakening, so to speak, of an older woman. And it's natural and it's more about human connection. That's the whole point of the movie is about human connection. And I'm sure that, you know, this uh, is very common in elderly hey, women. What happened? <laughs> I'm sorry. Audio just began playing off my computer. I've been working on the railroad. That sounds like her previous well, sex life with her marriage. <laughs> Actually, it was something from this morning. It's like I've been watching OJ Simpson. It's uh, because today it's is the, the anniversary. anniversary. Of the, oh, of the chase. Hmm. But it's also the anniversary of Watergate, which gave better movies. So I and think <laughs> that uh, so I think that Leo Grand will surprise people. Of course, the people that are going to be already like, surprised me in a very sexual way. Yeah, um, I think people are going to be shocked, but I think it's it, I think it's an expected journey of a woman of a certain age who's just she took what she was given in life and she didn't really wonder about it. Now she's wondering about it as she, you know, gets into the golden years. Like, what did I miss? What's wrong with why? Am I not fulfilled? Fulfilled. Well, JC, you saw the nearly three-hour movie of Elvis. Two thirty-nine felt like it too. Does it? I, did you guys? I did you guys it. both see it? I saw. I did it. not see it yet. I'm going to see it next week. I really enjoyed it because it's. Very Boz Lerman bedazzled. Like if you like Boz's style, he obviously has ADD 
and he settles in, I think, but that Austin Butler's performance is magnetic. And I like that they concentrated on the black music influences because nobody's really touched on that yet. They've touched about that for 70 years. Well, not in a film. Okay. I don't think, I mean, you, if you go to Sun Records, you see it <laughs> and you hear about it, but I think it hits all the beats. What did you think, JC? You would think that in this country, there have only been two entertainers in the entire history of the United States, Marilyn Monroe and Elvis Presley. And if you're going to do an Elvis movie or a Marilyn Monroe movie at this stage of the game, and if you're going to do one of these biopics, which there have been so many of them, even the Dewey Cox walk hard thing. You know, it's really hard to watch some of these biopics now without almost laughing because you're thinking to yourself, well, that's what John C. Riley did. And that's what they did Speaking in the Johnny full Cash frontal movie. Nudity. That's they, right. That's what they did in the Elton John movie. And that's what they did in this movie. And that's what they did in the Janis Joplin movie. And it's the same story over and over again. You know, you come from a small town, you uh, shock your local community, you move, somebody discovers you, you move to the big time, you have this meteoric rise, you, somebody starts uh, handing you drugs for the first time, your entire career crashes and burns, your relationships uh, burn out, and, and somehow at the end, that's about the only thing that changes at the end, how they wrap it up, how they tie it up at the end. And this is like so many movies that I think we all see where it is uh, 90 minutes, or in this case, in this case, two hours and 37 minutes of a movie full of really, really good scenes, you know, a handful of very, very memorable scenes, but at the end, not a very good movie. First of all, if you're going to do a movie about Elvis, Elvis's character was so dynamic and so uh, uh, just, just, I mean, Elvis would walk into a room and just suck the energy out of it because he's fucking Elvis, right? Okay. So if you're going to do that movie, you got to put some sort of a new spin on it. But also to try to tell the story of Elvis and also tell the story of Colonel Tom Parker, that's why it's two hours and 39 minutes because it's too much movie. Pick you're one. trying to cover you're trying exactly pick one because there was a movie to be made here. You know, this isn't it. And the movie would have been really Colonel Tom Parker. You don't at the end of the thing, I'm walking out going, I don't feel like I learned anything about either one of these characters. I, I just, uh, you know, I just didn't, but, but you're right, Lynn, when this guy gets, you know what it's like, you know, they don't shoot movies chronologically. Yeah. I think everybody knows that, but it's almost like, if they did about an hour into this movie, somebody from the studio walked in and said, Boz, this is really dragging. All right. You, you got to pick this up. And then all of a sudden he kicks it into a high gear. And I would say, you know, Lynn, maybe the last 45, 50 minutes of the movie is a completely different movie with a different pace and much better made. And, and you're sitting there going, well, why do we sit there through the first hour? And, 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 but it finally picks up and it was almost like I was ready to say, well, this is going to be a, uh, a pretty shitty review for this movie because I, they just they were all over the road here. And it's like Carl said, pick one, you know, and it was just all over the place. But then, like I said, maybe, you know, an hour, 40 minutes into the movie, it really picks up. And that's where you get a lot of the performance video. Now, the Freddie Mercury movie 
this was my criticism of that movie too because it was not until the last 15 or 15 20 minutes to go in the movie all of a sudden it's performance video well you know what i can watch an old andy kaufman movie and or you know his appearance on letterman there's Elvis in person or there's just a hundred movies where somebody did Elvis and did a pretty good Elvis. And even Nick rivers, uh, uh, what's the, uh, the movie of uh, uh, top, top, uh, top secret, top secret. Oh yeah. Right. With, uh, with Val, Val where he does the scene near the beginning of the movie where it's in the, the malt shop, <laughs> malt shop, whatever it is. And they do all that. I mean, that was an unbelievably electrifying. He was basically imitating Elvis in that whole thing. So, you know, it's just I, I see this movie as being too much movie. It takes too long to get started. You're in the theater way too long. Uh, I, I it's very, very mixed review. And But I'm with Lynn. I don't want to in any way sort of uh dispel the notion that this guy didn't give an incredible performance uh as elvis and was it my imagination because i know at least once i know i'm right on this i know at least once they cut in an actual shot of elvis i think it was at the pool when it was during the movie making years where they were sort of, and that was another criticism i have of the movie there was hardly any reference at all to all the movies he made for wow. me i think elvis was more of a movie star than a recording star for me because you know like girls 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 and blue hawaii, uh, uh, blue hawaii and, and of course viva las, viva las vegas, vegas. Yep. you know what i said girls when i said girls, girls, the girls i thought yeah polka 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 uh <laughs> polka 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 oh, anyhow yeah. uh <laughs> John Candy, but uh, uh, th that was for me uh, a more important deal than his recording career. It was hardly anything in this movie about that. So uh, I don't know. I'll stop talking here. Lynn, any other observations you had? Uh, I think this is rare for Tom Hanks to play a villain. Uh, the voice has gotten mixed reaction because Colonel Tom Parker was really Dutch. <laughs> And he has a very strange accent that he affects. And of course, he's wearing a big fat suit because that. So it's and and, and don't don't, you know, I found that very distracting, too. You know, that that accent was I was straining to understand some of the words. And and after, you know, after two hours of that accent, I was ready to just just talk normal. You know, that accent was annoying to me. Right. So we get that aspect of it. I think because we grew up with Elvis, we were alive when Elvis uh, through the whole thing. And it's Elvis has become such a caricature in pop culture since his death and the whole myth and the whole shebang and then the Elvis sightings and then the impersonators because a honeymoon in <laughs> Vegas is great. The fine oh, Elvis. Yeah. And, and all that. And so we are familiar with that. Now, my favorite uh, Elvis movie was the TV movie that John Carpenter did with Kurt Russell. This is oh, Elvis. I thought of Kurt Russell last night. Yes. As the king. And to me, that's fabulous. But Elvis's life is so huge, so full of things that it would take a miniseries. Well, is that like why, why Spielberg did something? 
Lincoln and just took it over the course of four days? Yeah, I think that would that have is, worked better. Yeah, I think it probably would have. But I do like what Buzz, uh, what Boz, Boz did here with his style. It takes a while to get used to it. Like you said, it settles down. My favorite part was the comeback special. Because yeah. that is just sensational. And then, of course, we have to have the, the you know, every arc of each decade, the 50s, the 60s, British invasion comes in. He's no longer cool. He's on the verge of being a has-been. He gets those new producers and they just slay it with the comeback special. And then the 70s, the decline of his marriage, the decline of the drugs, just like you said, it's all these familiar things. And then it's that, but what I like about this is for a new generation, to me, it restores the luster of who he was and why he was a big deal, because I think that has gotten lost in the whole, the whole post death stuff. He, how old would he be now? Like in his eighties, right? Uh, Does it end with him by the toilet? Well, we have a whole bunch of news clips and archival footage and and all that. But I really like how they bring out the influence of the black music because B.B. King is played by Kelvin Harrison Jr. And he was a friend. Elvis and Elvis used to hang on Beale Street. So we have that influence. Hound Dog. And, and Dewey Phillips, the, the Memphis DJ. So Sam Phillips, his secretary. See, there, was their, there was their movie, Lynn. That was the movie. Because, you know, you guys just both finished talking about, it. again, like what I said, the dynamic uh, uh, image of Elvis. You know, it's hard enough just to get that in a movie. Now you're trying to tell the Colonel Tom Parker story, too. It's too much stuff. You just isolated on what the movie should have been. The movie should have been all about Elvis's relationship with the black community and the black music artists, right down to, you know, the gospel stuff he did later on in his career, even a song like in the ghetto, things like that. Uh, that was the movie. And, uh, uh, but nobody wants to make that movie people. I'm telling you, I can't tell you how many times while I'm watching this thing, I'm thinking to myself, here we go. Okay, so now what's going to be next? Oh, okay, now's the downfall. Okay, what else is going to be next now? Now the wife is going to yell. Sure enough, the wife starts yelling. Okay, now what's going to happen? Now he's going to hit rock bottom. He's going to find out he's broke. And then you're sitting there, and it's just, it was almost like the Top Gun movie. I was sitting there going, okay, what's going to happen now? Oh, yeah, yeah, somebody's going to, uh, uh, there's going to be the conflict here. It's like a computer wrote it. Yeah, I can I can see that now. Austin Butler previously was Tex Watkins in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He was on a couple TV shows. He is married to Vanessa Hudgens, by the way. Good for him. And uh, hmm. so, speaking anyway. of full frontal nudity, yeah, <laughs> yes. that was stolen. That was not her choice. And, and so, I think that uh, he's blazes because the movements the whole thing and he sang most of the role and he just blazes on that screen now right, now here's my question here's my question so yeah he's fantastic and i could see him getting an oscar nomination and everything like that but now you're hollywood now what do you do with him it's like okay you can imitate elvis 
fantastically. All right. I just made up a word. What do you do with him now? Yeah, that's the thing. What, what's he going to do next? Damn. Because, uh, yeah, because you, you do that, you know, and uh, well, Rami Malik won the Oscar as Freddie Mercury, and he's been a Bond villain. That's pretty much it so far. Right. Explain something to me, Carl and yes. Lynn. I want to understand this. So he wins the Oscar for portraying Freddie Mercury, and yet all he did was lip sync. <laughs> now, the other guy comes along the Elton John movie and he sings and he dances. And the degree of difficulty, I think, is much, much more difficult. And he does a duet they, with Elton John at the end of the movie. And gets gets uh, uh, he got a nomination, I believe. And that was it. So did how is that? Possible? No, no, no. He did not no. get a nomination for the Oscars. He got nominated. He did not win. And yet Rami Malek wins. That's that's not fair. He won a Taron Egerton won the Golden Globe. That's not a thing. Well, you know, that's, you know, I know. But, but I'm also, just telling but, you, you know, that's what he won. The kids, the kids like the Bohemian Rhapsody. The adults who lived through it don't like it because they know it was all made up. The kids who didn't know any better, they liked it. And I'm glad that they're getting more Queen music because of that. But it's it's not a good movie. I don't care for it. And also, uh, at Remy Malik was just with Denzel Washington in that HBO Max movie. Oh yeah, I forgot because that movie is so weird. Um, is weird. But Jared Leto is actually very good as the really strange dude. Yes. So yes. yeah, you have three Oscar winners in that movie, and everyone was excited when they when they announced about it, and then they saw it, and it was Denzel's great in that movie. Well, they so, just... so anyhow, I mean, I, the the final word on the Elvis movie is uh, for me a very mixed review. Uh, it's too long. I saw a hundred places they could have cut it. I think that the concept was flawed from the beginning because you're trying to do too much uh, in one movie, and so as far as I was concerned, both stories ended up suffering. And uh, this was not the movie they should have made. But I think, Lynn, I think you nailed it. That the movie should have been. That would have been a good movie. Elvis and the whole idea that plus, plus, imagine what that would have done. You talk about, you know, movies opening up people to the music of Queen or the music of Elvis or what Elvis was really like. Think about that, because our entire music industry is based on music of the black culture in the 40s and 50s and pretty much you know going back to the pat boone days and stuff like that there's a story that should be told and told effectively someday and told in a way that today's audiences would get some appreciation for black music and just exactly what happened and how that rock and roll exists because of soul some very, music. very smart. Yeah, because of soul music, some very, very smart people in the record industry who figured, all right, we got to take this stuff and make it palatable for white audiences on the Ed Sullivan show. And that's really how the whole thing started. What we have today would not exist without that relationship that Elvis had with the black musicians and the entire black music community. That would have been a movie. You are right. That would have been really great. And I encourage anybody, uh, if you go to Memphis, I think the more interesting tour is the Sun Studios. 
and million dollar quartet. They have that photo there of that one night where it was Carl Perkins, Jerry Lee Lewis, Johnny Cash and Elvis. They have that on the wall. And Million Dollar Quartet is now coming to the Stiefel in uh, St. Louis uh, this summer. And I think probably because of the Elvis movie. Did I did I see it at Stiefel or did I see it at the Fox? Because I saw it at the Fox. You saw it at the Fox in 2013. And also the rep did it a few years ago. Uh, The guy that played Jerry Lee Lewis won the Tony back in 2013, 2014. And uh, it's fabulous. It's a great musical. And uh, I I do think the early years, yeah, because people just know fat Elvis. They know the Elvis impersonator that marries people in Vegas. They know that whole shtick, you know, the the peanut butter and burnt bacon and banana sandwiches. You know, so it's it's just that whole thing. And then you get you got to get down to the nitty gritty. Why Elvis was Elvis. Which this movie doesn't tell you. No. So I do think like the Beatles get back. You you need a lot of time to tell their story. But isn't it interesting that people that grew up so very poor. Became the music changers of the world. Isn't that fascinating to me? You don't find rich kids changing the world, do you? Carly Simon, well, she didn't change the music world, but she had a very successful career. But I think you speak to the idea of you need something, especially when you're very, very young and you don't have any money and you don't, maybe your family isn't uh, together the way it ought to be. And people retreat to something. Some people learn how to bounce a basketball better than anybody else. Some people just uh, internalize things and go crazy and are weird for the rest of their lives. And some people find something to glom on to and say, you know, I'm fascinated by this. I want to know everything about it. And, uh, uh, you know, but that's still like, you know, one out of every million. You know, I think a lot of kids are still sitting in the outskirts of Wichita, Kansas, having never, you know, been able to do anything with that dream or all of that stuff that they retreated to. We only know the stories that led to major monumental success. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, there's not enough. There's just not enough room in show business for everybody who wants to be in it. Right. Well, the thing is that uh, they're risk takers. They will take chances because uh, that's the only way. And uh, speaking of risk takers, there's a documentary out now that's on Netflix about Jennifer Lopez called Halftime. And not only does it cover the Super Bowl performance of 2020 and what led up to that, but also she turned 50 and she felt like she was just getting started. But here is a woman who's vastly successful, popular. She's the subject of tabloids. She gets a lot of social media hate. She is out to prove something. The documentary is basically her still trying to prove herself, still trying to say, I matter. What I've done matters. Uh, She has this huge chip on her shoulder, but not being taken seriously for so many years. But then look at, I mean, I personally find her very talented and uh, she doesn't have to prove anything to me, but I think just the way her career's been, she just feels like she has to keep saying these things. Now, 
Well, she said, is this, uh, this was when uh, the press came out uh, with her story, I guess, in one of the interviews she did for this thing. That's where the whole idea of her for the first time expressing uh, almost anger over the idea that they put her with Shakira out there. And, you know, from a selfish standpoint, the only thing that could be better than somebody on stage at halftime of the Super Bowl shaking their ass is two people shaking their asses. <laughs> so, but if you're, if you're Jennifer Lopez and you're still having all of those feelings of, you know, validity and self-worth and all that sort of stuff, I can see how that would have gotten in the way, but you know, does she have an agent? Does she have the ability to negotiate? So, or did she just want to do fault? something because Jay-Z was producing it? Well, another well, yeah, thing I is mean, whose who's fault yeah. is it? Well, another thing is it's kind of been twisted because she's very complimentary to Shakira in this. And basically she's telling Shakira they should have given them 20 minutes to have two people for 14 minutes is crazy. She didn't like that aspect. She felt like they should have more time. But Did also she now watch the last 40 Super Bowls. I know. Exactly. I, know. I mean, that's just showing. Uh, they, they, that's gave just Prince. Showing. they gave Paul McCartney. They gave the Rolling Stones. They gave them 12 minutes. You got an extra two. Yeah, well, the thing is, is that she uh, if you got if you think about these celebrity documentaries of the past couple of years, they have a say in them. They are, you know, and she has carefully cultivated her image. This is a movie with her inner circle. Her mom is interviewed. We're not going out of the what she wants to project here. You know what I'm saying? This these mm. these documentaries because that's the same criticism. You're of the seeing what she wants you to see, and not uh, a molecule more. Right, and and that's the thing. That's why people criticized uh, the Val Kilmer documentary that he had final cut. Well, you even know. truth or dare, even truth or dare, it's like you're seeing what they want you to see, and nothing else. The Billie Eilish documentary. Her parents have made her into a camera-ready kid her entire life. They were actors. They knew how to, uh, grooming is now a bad word, but they groomed her to be as successful as she is. So basically, that's what you're getting with this Jennifer Lopez documentary, Halftime. So, you know, it's all what your perception is. And I will right. say, so, as, um, as a Latino woman, she's done extreme. I thought you were going to say you were a Latino woman. I was going to say, as a Latino woman, which I'm not. <laughs> but, <Yeah. you> know, <laughs> but, but what also another thing is, too, you know, she has crafted that I'm Jenny from the block thing for years. I'm just Jenny from the block in the Bronx. That was 20 years ago. I know. But let's let's put it like that. You know, she was a judge on American Idol. She and, uh, you know, so anyway, that's my take on that movie. So what else we have streaming? JC, have you seen the new Adam Sandler movie that's on Netflix right now? I have not. As uh, as you guys know, I have been uh, uh, my time has been sucked away by other projects the last two or three months. And I have not seen half of what I should have seen by now to be able to be on this podcast with you guys. Well, I would highly Lynn recommend it. it. I do. It's so surprising. It's very authentic NBA action. It has NBA stars, uh, Dr. J 
is in it. It uh, takes place the Philadelphia 76ers. It has very authentic action. And then Sandler is getting the last laugh because he's really proven that he's not a one-trick pony. So he plays, Queen Latifah plays his wife. Netflix Robert has du- been very good to Adam Sandler. Right. Uh, Robert He's du- been Duvall's- good to them. He's not put out You'd think he could just like make a whole bunch of crap and he hasn't. He's actually made really good movies for Netflix, which you wouldn't think maybe some of these people that every every time we think they're just, you know, doing it for George Clooney probably has this problem right now, but doing it just because he that's what he's supposed to do. Maybe if they had the freedom like Adam Sandler does, they could do it. Adam Sandler's been very upfront about it. He says, I make movies that make my friends laugh. And, and he's, so he's you know, good he at obviously it. hangs out with a lot of, lot of boneheads, but when <laughs> he makes, uh, you know, but when he makes these movies, these dramas, like one, uh, uh, one punch, no punch, punch drunk, drunk love, love you know, stuff like that. It's uh, you know, he's worth seeing there. Yeah. Uncut gems. And Lynn says hustle is a, is a drama too. Yeah. It's it's way okay. it's surprising. So I encourage you, and it's not that long and that. But let's talk about what JC's been. No, up no, to. hold on. If I was going to make an opposite point of what I was just saying, Melissa McCarthy <gasps> and her husband should never work together again. And we keep <laughs> saying this after every project. Tammy I'm, was awful. Then it uh, got went from bad to worse. That movie with that, what is it, Strike Force or whatever? Yes, with oh. Octavia Spencer. I mean, I want. And those then there was the one with my uh, life back. Bar, the one where she's dating Barb, Bobby Carnival. Uh, that movie was awful. Anytime she does something with her husband Ben Falcone, it is awful. Now they're doing a series on Netflix. Well, God's where they got this idea. idea, presumably, was in the scene in Bridesmaids, where they're on the plane and she, she assumes that. Ben Falcone is the air marshal. And those scenes were hilarious. But they didn't write that. Right. (laughs) Good point. But apparently people saw that and figured, hey, there's something going on here. And, you know, you got next thing, you know, you you got a power couple or something. But uh, yeah. No. No, And and uh, the variety headline, like I sent it to Carl, it was like they should never work together. And Carl was like, you know, we've been saying this for years. How low can they go? And it I seems know. this Netflix series is very low. It's just junk. And she's just coasting on her previous reputation. And granted, you know, they're both. He went to Carbondale. Uh, you know, JC and I are product of Illinois State Schools. And so, uh, you know, you're like, bravo. for tell by my math skills. <laughs> <laughs> well. Which there's, don't exist. There's that. But uh, you know what I'm saying in terms of like, hey, somebody from Carbondale made it, not just Dennis Franz, you know, and Jenny McCarthy. Well, you know, I went to school with, yeah, I went to school with, uh, uh, oh, well, Dan Castaneda, voice of Homer Simpson. I uh, went to school with uh, um, Robert Zemeckis. 
Um, he was a year ahead of me, I believe, but I worked with his, uh, his, uh, his sister, Carol, his sister, Carol was an aspiring disc jockey and worked at WKDI in DeKalb along with me. And I lost track of her, which is too bad because she's got a famous brother now, <laughs> but <laughs> well, you know, my claim to fame is that I went to a college at Illinois state with the founders of the Steppenwolf theater, uh, Lori Medcalf, John Malkovich, Terry Kinney, Gary uh, Jeff Perry, Gary not Sinise. Gary Sinise. No, oh, not Gary Sinise. Gary, everybody thinks Gary Sinise went to my college, but he married Moira Harris, who was in my classes, but okay. he was Jeff Perry's best friend and they lived in Highland Park. And so when I asked Terry Kinney right before graduation, I said, Terry, what are you going to do after graduation? And he said, we're going to Chicago and we're going to open this theater. And, and I was like, good for you, you know, and I was Can like, you imagine John Malkovich in college, Oh I mean, yeah, because everybody's pretty weird. Everybody's pretty weird in college. Anyhow, now you're John Malkovich and you're in college. Well, he sat in front of me in this one class and, uh, the teacher, I, I wrote uh, theater reviews for the school paper. And this one theater professor uh, said something about my reviews and Malkovich turned to look at me like, like, who are you? And uh, oh, so, I, I, so I always. And then you it, crawled into his mind and came out in a dump. <laughs> right. So anyway, I always like to say that I gave them their first rave reviews, but they uh, were on fire in Chicago. And the thing that I took away from them is they were not the headliners of the main stage in the theater department. They were on fire and they were all about characters. They were all about the projects. They would put on all these little shows just so they could all be together. And so they were all about that. So a couple of years ago, I interviewed Lori Metcalf and I said, I met you in Stevenson Hall, <laughs> you know, and I said, this is like full circle to me. And I told her what I felt. And she goes, I think that's fair. She married Jeff Perry, who was Gary Sinise's best friend, which is how they got started in Chicago because uh, Gary Sinise got them the church basement that they started doing shows in. Hence, now, that at, what point, at what point did uh, John, uh, John Cusack become involved in that? Because he was part of that group too, but he didn't go to Illinois State. No, no, this was much later, much later, because like Joan Allen, who you went to college with. Joan Allen, Northern uh, Illinois. Malkovich transferred from Eastern University, Eastern Illinois University, because the theater professor there, and I actually talked to the guy that told him he was never going to have a career in theater. And huh. so he, he came to Illinois State, which is why I didn't know him before till he's an upperclassman, you know, and then I was like, who's this guy? Anyway, uh, so Jeff Perry and Lori Metcalf were married and their daughters, Zoe Perry, is Sheldon's mom in Young Sheldon. Yes, because oh, okay. because Lori Metcalf played his mom on Big Bang Theory. And so when they wanted to go 20 years younger, they got her daughter. You know, this is really interesting, too, because the entire show business business, if you will, um, it really, in a lot of cases, comes down to who, you know, you, you wonder how many you remember, you, you wonder how many incredibly talented performers there are out there that never saw the light of day just because they didn't know the right people. You, you got to know people it's, or weren't related boy, to them. 
Right. Or, or like uh, being in the right place at the right time. I mean, Kenny Loggins will tell you that. I think it was Toto that was supposed to do Danger Zone. And the wire screwed the thing up. And so Kenny Loggins just happened to be down the hall in another studio. And they came running down like, oh, uh, can you sing? And he's like, yeah. They're like, all right, come on. We got the song for you to sing. And the next thing you know, Kenny Loggins has an entire cottage industry of doing, uh, you know, movie soundtracks. So that was number one. But yeah, yeah, you start thinking about it going, wow, um, it, there's probably an, this is the way I feel about uh, unattractive people in the news business. You have tremendous writers who's kidding um, you in, in, in te- right in television news because they can't get on television because they don't look good enough. Um, but th- you wonder how many incredibly talented journalists we never ended up seeing on television because they don't have the look of a local television person. And so you don't get it to be on TV. That's the way the business works. You well, gotta I re- be pretty. Well, you JC, gotta be pretty and you gotta look, you gotta be able to read off a teleprompter. Well, I always tell people because I majored in radio TV, I always tell people uh, the movie Anchorman is a documentary. Yeah, because <laughs> because yeah. trust me on this, the people I threw a trident because that was at the time of the happy news. Remember that? And I remember going up to Chicago because I had so many Chicago friends from college that you would see Jane Polly on the nightly news. And I remember going to Second City when George went and Shelley Long were in right. the troop. And uh, you remember seeing them and Shelley Long was in some commercial that was shown all the time in in Chicago because she was on she was in Second City. Homemakers. And then, and then some it was a furniture store. Homemakers, not 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 uh, not inexpensive furniture, furniture that's inexpensive. But there were some great people on that stage in Second City and some people skyrocketed. Well, wait, wait, you just made me think of something, Lynn. Yeah. You just made me think of something. Uh, the, the Channel 2, there's a CBS uh, affiliate in Chicago, Channel 2, uh, WBBM-TV, and they were one of the first outfits. Remember when, uh, for a while, you had the television newsroom all going on behind you? Yes. I mean, CNN still does it a little bit sometimes, but the, the anchor people would be sitting there, and in the back, you'd just see people running around all over the place because they had the camera turn around. You were actually seeing the real newsroom. People, I think, thought that maybe those people were acting, but they weren't. That's the actual newsroom back there. So what they did is, this is Jim Belushi. They gave him a television special on WTTW, the uh, Channel 11, the public broadcasting station in Chicago, and they actually let him use the set of WBBM TV. So now they're putting on like one of these fake newscasts, almost like a weekend update thing. And the bit was that they were reporting on, you know, lost dogs and cats stuck in trees and stuff like that. And in the meantime, in the back, you see what was, what is clearly a, a massive robbery going on going on and it's going on right behind, and it's going on right behind them but of course it's not on the news because they can't they're doing this stuff and it, you can't see it but right behind them there's this, this big robbery going on. it was very very funny all right so we we yes. were, were we're stuck in 1970 let's go up to 2022 <laughs> jc tell us about the wolf okay oh, wolf oh yeah. all right oh you're you sprung that on me. Okay, so let me explain this to people right off the bat. 
there is no 101.5 yet. Okay. People are like, I can turn it on. There's nothing there. I want to hear your new station. It's not there. Um, but uh, uh, for like the last five years at 101.7 out in Westplex, there's been a uh, rock and Americana station. And it's Americana music. I'll have to explain that some other time. So what's going to happen here is about a week to 10 days, another signal at 101.5 in St. Louis is going on the air. And that will, uh, uh, you'll be able to hear us. If you hear us right yeah. now, if you're not in the Westplex, you don't hear the radio station. So right now, uh, Katie Cruz is on the station along with her two cohorts. Um, and then you got Michelle Holiday, who has been, oh God, Michelle has been on radio in St. Louis for a couple of decades, at least two or three decades. And uh, I'm doing my weekend oldies show from nine to 11, JC's Roots of Rock Sunday show. Which is and, great. Uh, just all the great, all the great stuff. Thank you very much. All the stuff from the 60s and 70s. And then, uh, so for right now, if you're not living in the Westplex, then you got to go to k-wolf.com, W-U-L-F, uh, k-wolf.com, and you can uh, listen there every Sunday morning, 9 to 11. And then hopefully in about a week to 10 days, we're going to have the new signal up for St. Louis and St. Louis County. And then you'll be able to listen um, pretty much anywhere. And, uh, you know, it's um, right now, and this is not to start a war with any other one radio station. Okay, that's not what this is about. I think there's room for everybody. And, you know, the typical average radio stations playing 300, 350 songs. That's it. They just rotate them over and over again. There's reasons for that. Um, and we're going to be playing probably more like 2,000 titles. So you're going to hear, um, if you listen to Bad Company, you're going to hear Can't Get Enough of Your Love, but you're also going to hear Silver, Blue, and Gold, and Oh, Atlanta, and lots of other really good songs. And plus the injection of Americana music, which is sort of a cross between Oh, a little bit of folk, a little bit of pop, a little influence of like more like country rock as opposed to country and all of that stuff jammed together. And it's a genre of music that's really starting to get a toehold. And so that is going to be uh, one. It's going to be the golden drop of Retson on our radio station. And um, so uh, right now we're going to be rolling this out in phases, by the way. And phase one is uh, happening right now. And uh, I hope you join me on the weekend. Got a good one. Got the Father's Day. Sunday morning, if you are able to hear this, it's the uh, uh, it's the Father's Day uh, special, and uh, you know we have different themes and a lot of Motown, and it's really it's really a fun show every Sunday morning from nine to eleven, which is great. Now this reminds me of the old MRY, uh, W Mary, uh, Mark Close and Jim Doyle uh, did it at uh, that radio station for a bit, and it was deep cuts. And Mark, I was, think that, yeah, I think that, that that's a very, very accurate comparison. I think that uh, people who remember that radio station uh, think this will this will sound familiar to them when this thing hits in about you know a week to ten days. And also, JC, you're going to be doing sports reports with Katie. I do uh, started that about two weeks ago. I do sports at twenty past the hour in the six, seven, and eight o'clock hour, and uh, just uh, you know just something fun to do. Well, you know your stuff on sports. Uh, did you cover Nicholas's um, uh, near uh, no hitter? Uh, oh, uh, Michaelis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Michaelis. Um, yeah. I say Michaelis. I'm sorry, Michael. That's a well, different story yeah, but... going on in golf. <laughs> oh yeah, and also Bernie Michaelis. 
you know, I'm so you, sorry. You the necklaces so and the sorry. Necklaces. No, that's quite all right. Yeah. You just threw me off there for a minute because I thought you were talking about golf there for a minute. But um, <laughs> Jack Nicholas, no. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I when I do the sports. I try to do the sports funny. So you know, it'll be up to people to decide whether or not it is. But that is the <laughs> intent. I think that there's ways of uh, of telling you that the Cardinals won or lost the game. But see, here's the whole thing right now. And I don't mean to, uh, you know, get way off the beaten path here. We're supposed to be talking about movies. But, you know, you have to remind yourself that you're living in a different world now. If you did a sports report, it's like, well, you know, come out and you, you, you tell people that the Cardinals won last night. You don't do that anymore. Everybody they, already, they already knows. knows. That's right. And it's amazing how you go to, whether it's Camworks or any place like that, they're still doing it the old way. The old way is old. It's not applicable anymore. Your job is to bring something to the story other than the fact that the Cardinals won or lost. And so that's what I'm trying to do. Instead of just telling you something you already know, it's almost like the weather too. If you do the weather, you got to say something about the weather. All of this stuff has changed because of these little devices that we hold in our hands right now that Timothy Leary predicted all the way back in the 60s that we would all have these little personal Dick Tracy-like devices. And because of that, the job has changed, but it's amazing how many people that are, I guess you would say, recognized as being at the top of their game still don't understand that now, jc you say that ever you're still surprised at sports because you've been watching baseball your <laughs> entire life and every once in a while there's something that still surprises twice a year you. what it what was the last thing that surprised you oh and god oh man i don't oh oh i can tell you it was last season and it was the cubs and pirates in pittsburgh it was a day game and a guy hit there's a runner on first a guy hit a ground ball and uh it was one of those plays up the first baseline so the first baseman picked up the ball and was just going to tag him but the runner starts running backwards towards home plate while this is going on a runner on third tries to score and then he gets a run down and then the other guy, the first runner, starts running back to first, which he hasn't done yet. He hasn't touched first base, so he's still a live runner. The Pirates throw the ball away. The run scores from third, and that runner who was trying to get to first ended up on second. So I'd never seen anything like that before. That's probably the one I can remember best. If you see the video, Carl, if you watch the video on YouTube, it's one of the most remarkable things. Not only that I've seen, you know, I say twice a year, I always see something I haven't seen before. It's one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. It's probably near the top of the list ever. One of my least favorite ones is Colton Wong getting thrown out to end a World Series game. That had never happened before <laughs> in, in, in the World Series. And everyone's like well the game's over and no one yeah. knew why Ugh, i love when when you were still on morning radio jc and there were two he's, he's still on morning radio every I know, day but i'm, I'm on the morning oh, well, podcast you know i'm sorry but you know what i meant and, <laughs> <laughs> um semantics went halfway up your colon there my semantics God. All right. you're a writer we you know understand. better I know. Oh, okay, so gosh. there were two key games 
that you always talked about because I always listened to both of you on on the radio and you would talk about the game the night before because that was still you know we're talking in 2005 we did not have smartphones yet we had cell phones but no smartphones I had one of those flip things where you had to press the thing to text it was awful um so the Pujols home run in Houston yeah. which had uh, has been set to music, the natural theme, and uh, you have Here, it. Good. Yeah. It's, well, it's on, it, the sequence is right up there. Can you see it up there? Oh, There's yeah, yeah. the pitch. There's the so It's four frames. It's four frames of Brad Lidge pitching to Albert Pujols. And, and there it is right there. And he on, broke him. My door. He was never the same he after broke- that. Brad Lidge was never the same after that. It was a defining moment in both of their careers, really. Yet, and, and yet you, we lost and, that series. We lost. We didn't win we that year. Yeah, and the ball went over yeah. the DK em- emblem. Well, yeah, and over the there's so much road tracks and over everything. That was so much. But the morning after, you talked about how all these people went to bed. What is going on with this thing? Hold on. Wait, I apologize. I apologize. It's reminding us of uh, what we could be doing in the world instead of talking. (laughs) But uh, anyhow, yes, I know what story you're going after here. I'll tell you real quick. What happened was, uh, you know, it looked like the Cardinals were out of the game and out of the series and it's things, things were looking bleak and it was already like 10 o'clock at night and almost everybody just said, I'm not going to put myself through this. Uh, I'm turning the TV off. And of course the Cardinals have this miraculous comeback uh, spearheaded, or at least uh, uh, just the cherry on top of the Sunday when Albert Pujols, you know, bombs this ball, you know, it's probably still going. Um, What I did is I contacted and it began my relationship with a guy who is still a very good friend of mine. Now he was the general manager of Fox two, Spencer Koch. And I said, Spencer, nobody saw this. Nobody saw it. And and you can't just put the highlight on and show the home run because the comeback is so remarkable. You've got to call up the Fox network and get authorization to run the last half hour of that game. And he was like, oh, that's a great idea. And blah, blah, blah. No, no, Spencer. I'm not. I, I'm serious about this. Quit blowing me you off. Gotta, you you got to call the Fox guys and explain what happened. Explain the significance of this. And to make a long story short, he did. And they okayed it. And the next night, Fox, who with the help of our promotion on the thing on radio, obviously, they allowed them to run back the last half hour of the game. And I don't know if the network has ever allowed that. But it was, uh, but it was pretty cool. And then, um, so you talked about, it, and then the next, uh, also, 2011 game six, and I'll never forget you talking about it the next day because mm. I, of course, stayed up, and I was people, watching. People went to. I watched from bed, and people, you know, I I watched it unfold in real time. But you were so right. The next day, I'll never forget you guys talking about this, and you said that it really wasn't a good game for a while. I mean, they look like the bad news bears and then miraculously because my son in New York, my sister, South Carolina, a friend of mine, we're all texting each other during this going, Oh my God. Oh my God. Did you see that? Because it was just 
well, you know, two strikes away. So those are the games that people went to sleep on. And the morning radio people, you, you, you brought it to our attention because there's so many people that, that nowadays, because news is so fragmented, people don't know what's going on. Like you'll talk to somebody and you'll go, this happened. They'll go, really? What? what I mean, there's so much that people do not know what's happening because they're not listening and paying attention to things. Yeah. Well, that happened with the blues game in the last series, you know, the, I got friends, you know, scattered all over the country too. people from St. Louis who might not have watched many blues games over the course of the regular season. But then as the playoffs heat up and heat up and heat up and you go further and further on, you know, people start really jumping onto the bandwagon and it's fun because with social media, you have people and they're all, everybody's typing away like crazy Every big play, you know, somebody's got something to say about it. I was talking, Bobby, the, fur, the furthest person away was my friend. Uh, I probably shouldn't say her name because she'll get in trouble. There was a photographer in St. Louis who used to come and visit us at the radio station on, on Watson Road all the time back in the middle 80s. And she's a very good photographer. And for whatever reason, she managed to talk her way into situations at the concerts in St. Louis and she'd get tremendous access. And um, she ended up moving to LA. And in fact, we were the first radio station in the world to report on the death of Tom Petty. You know why? Because she was standing outside of his hospital room when they took him to Cedar Sinai. And she's like, it doesn't look good, JC. It does not look good. They can't revive him and everything like that. And finally, when they declared him dead it's like i went with the story and normally i try to get two sources but when you have somebody a friend of yours that you've known for 35 years standing outside of tom petty's hospital room going that's it he's dead so we were able to do that but you know she was one of the people who was on and again everybody's just sharing information and it just this is it's one of the cool things about social media I'm not a big fan of social media. I do it because I think I have to for the job that I do. You got to stay relevant and you got to stay current and you have to maintain your connection with people. I mean, this is the world that we're living in right now. Carl, you know, this working at I radio know. stations, you know, big, big radio stations. Facebook, social media, social media is in a lot of people's contracts now lynn you know where you have to do uh, you know they'll sometimes specify the degree of involvement you must have in social media so this is as much part of the job as walking up and talking into the microphone these days you've got to do it and but it's really really fun sometimes not so much anymore but in a situation like those final couple of blues games where you're talking to people i haven't seen my friend and i haven't seen her in 35 years we were talking to each other like we had just seen each other last weekend and that's one of the good things about social media i agree i agree well when i taught journalism at SAUE, i would tell the kids because you're a media figure you're considered a public person and you should watch what you post and they all yeah, look at me like what are you talking about <laughs> and i was like they will, I said, for anything, they will research your account and anything that you said, I mean, that's, that's a pitfall, but another friend of mine, 
her daughter was worked for an agency in New York City that did the celebrity tweets because you know like oh. Britney Spears and stuff they weren't doing you know that they, they were doing all these uh, media people or all these celebrity tweets because who has you know they don't have time to be doing that so they hire it out so that's a whole cottage industry yeah and it's a shame it's got to be that way but george clooney i think said it best he's like i'm not on social media you want to know why because if you think i'm stupid enough to have two bottles of wine with my friends over dinner and then come home and see something snotty that somebody wrote about me on facebook and now i'm a little liquored up and i tell the guy off and i say something that i wouldn't normally say and that leads to the end of my career that is not a chance that i have any reason to take and so i'm not doing it but at the same time it's a shame that you know you'd like to think th there are very few celebrities that are posting their own stuff on social media there's 99 chance that it's somebody's niece or somebody's cousin or something like that but it's a shame that because you'd like to think that you know maybe you could have a moment it's like getting an autograph at a baseball game you get to talk to the player for a couple of minutes it's like we're losing all of that and we're losing and we're losing it because it's too dangerous and yep. there are people out there there are predators who are just in the three-point stance every day thinking to themselves whose career can i damage today there's a lot of real sick people out there right just like the the paparazzi back in the day yeah just waiting to catch somebody well they still do that yeah Right. But yeah. now it's more, you know, it's more uh, broadcast. But yeah, but the 30 mile zone is still a thing. It, the TMZ yeah. the, TMZ is now a resource. If you hear that someone has died, you don't have to wait for CNN or CBS News to say if C, if and Lynn, you're yeah. guilty of this, too. She said somebody died and we said, well, TMZ said it. Lynn, this person's dead. She's like, I'm waiting for a real news source. I'm sorry, Lynn. TMZ is a credible news source for what's going on in that 30 mile zone. But I will I say this. I, I will say this. I mean, now it is. But back in the day, like I was at a, a media con conference or something, and they were talking about how the news of Whitney Houston was broke by Twitter first, then national media. And this is like what, like early deck this early decade and i said well that was because uh, the uh, the real news was waiting for sources and people were like yeah 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 but now now it's become the standard and the real news is reporting on what twitter's saying and that's where we well, are well, now take the next big story that happens even a local story a st louis story like some you know major celebrity dies or something like that or just something a really really big story it and i'm not exaggerating but i don't have to it can sometimes be two three four hours before you see it on stl today it's a joke it's they a don't have joke any, they don't have anybody working there well the, yeah the yeah. breaking news people are uh yeah 
No, that's that. That's not I happening. remember when Jerry Berger died, when Jerry Berger died, and I knew he died because his partner had sent me an email telling me that it happened. That's a pretty good source. Okay. Well, I called a couple of friends in St. Louis television to tell them about it. They had no idea. So um, the way stories are breaking these days, and again, Carl brought up TMZ, and we I think we talked about this last time, but I'll just recap real quickly here, because um, this happened with the Rams, too, and the Rams were leaving St. Louis. People were arguing with me saying, you know, I talked to Kevin Demoff and I talked to the ghost of Georgia Frontier and, and they told me that the Rams are still negotiating and blah, 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 blah. Kevin Demoff's job was to keep you from knowing what's going on. The, the, and what I, you know, my sources were, my sources were people, family friends who had kids working at Rams Park who were told we're moving, so send your resumes out, and they're putting stuff in boxes. Or, like, oh, yeah, everybody knows. Do you want to move to California? That's what right. they were move told. To California. Do you want to move to yeah. California? Right. Well, Those are I remember good sources. And, and do you remember sportscasters when, are arguing with me? Do you remember in 2009 when Michael Jackson died? And first of all, poor Farrah Fawcett, she died earlier that poor day. Poor Farrah Fawcett. And then we were broadcasting she, live from that park in South St. Louis. Carl, what park was that? We were on Francis, the air. It, was, it might have been Francis Park. I don't know. But I, I still remember that uh, Dana Lash was right next to me and uh, would not speak to me for the entire time. I, so I started like just talking to her like she was answering me just to irritate her because <laughs> she just she was just such a seething, hateful, uh, antisocial creepy person and uh but yeah but we were broadcasting live yeah but farrah fawcett and then michael jackson and uh there were people who refused to believe me we went on the air with it because i was comfortable with my sources and then right after that the networks picked up on it well right well, well i remember it just happened right before like the the major networks went on for like the 5 30 evening news and i remember right. everybody was in front of cedar sinai in la because they were waiting for somebody to confirm it back then and so they were all waiting because it was such bad timing of that now you also remember jc and carl you probably do too pre-24 hour news john lennon dies howard cosell announces it during monday night football, monday night football. everybody went spaz Geraldo Rivera had that Good Night America show later on, and he came on. He acted like he was John Lennon's best friend. Is really off-putting, but nobody had the details back then because it of the timing of it all. And here, here Howard Cosell is because there was no twenty-four-seven. It was a different the news world. cycle was over for the day. Nothing ever happens after 11 or 12 o'clock at night on a Monday night. So Until the Today Show next on. morning. Right. So I remember yeah. turning on the radio and uh, Radio Rich actually listened to my then husband and I. We turned on the radio and we listened to the radio for our because they were the ones everybody was freaking out. They were playing Beatle music. Everything happened. But yeah. It was a different time. So now it's practically instantaneous. Well, again, this goes back to what I was talking about, about the sports. You know, if you, you got to really take a step back and look at what you're doing. And, and I am so critical of 
the St. Louis media market because it's lagging behind the rest of the world. They're just, they just don't get it. And uh, people just doing it the way they have always done it without thinking about what they're doing. And again, it goes back to the whole thing about the final scores. You get up in the morning, you're doing morning radio. You're telling people what they already know. People already know what you're telling them. So what is the point? So I have to remind myself every day, they already know this, bring something to the table that they don't know or make an observation about the game or talk about how what happened there is going to influence what happens the rest of the weekend. Like if the Cardinals had to use six pitchers, it's like, well, now you've got a depleted bullpen and you're going to a weekend series with the Boston Red Sox. And it's like the starters better, better buck up. So that's what you have to do now. And it's amazing how many people aren't doing it. And you know who broke that Molina story? The athletic. No, nobody, nobody on in, in MLB, nobody on in the local news. The athletic was the one that says that Yachty's going on IR because his knees are shot. Oh, yeah. No. Well, they've been yeah. telling us for five years that Yachty is going to be spending more time on the bench and more time playing first base. And he's not. And have you seen it happen? No. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of local people, we want to give a shout out to Bree Maniscalco. My cousin. Yay. On her new position as executive director of Cinema St. Louis. And uh, we uh, wish her the best because we've known Bree for years. We worked with her at Cinema St. Louis. She's an incredible dynamo. She's married to Pete Maniscalco. And uh, they are, uh, I guess, the closest thing to a film power couple that we got here. <laughs> yes, they are. But she is Good a game. wonderful person. And, and their little and their little baby Daisy is I saw Daisy at Lightyear and she was running up and down the aisles. So excited to see the movie. So and uh, uh, Ray Hartman last night, uh, right after I did my movie reviews, uh, they had Bree, uh, he had Bree on and interviewed her. So if you want to go back to KTRS and, and hear that, uh, it's a nice interview. So that was, I think, her first interview on uh, they, the they still, local media. Is the station still on the air after being socked with a $2 million lawsuit judgment yesterday? No, what's that about? Did you hear about that? No. The Frank opinion uh, case um, ended yesterday. Interestingly, Frank was uh, excused from any involvement in the case a couple of months ago. But uh, yeah, they were hit with a $2 million judgment yesterday. Yeah, I I heard all about that. Well, you'll have to fill me in uh, off the air about that. Absolutely off the air. Yes, I know. I, station is on the hook for the money. Yeah. Uh, the station is going to have to be on the hook for the money. It's it's uh, it's a very strange case, a very strange judgment, and a very strange uh, series of events that led to that judgment. But uh, yeah, it's a two million dollar thing. There was a kid. I say a kid. It was a young Ian, man who was uh, Ian was on that yeah. show for a long time. Nineteen years. Nineteen yeah. years, and uh, uh, lost control of the situation that he was in and ended up in rehab 
And uh, they started talking about it on the air. The only problem was nobody had any authorization to talk about it on the air. And he considered it a, a breach of his privacy. Now, I talked to Frank last night and I just said, I want your lawyer because how the hell you are the one who is saying it. How did you get out of it? And uh, Carl is uh, Carl is this is this is audio. So you can't see the video that Carl is providing for me right now. But it is which a, is 100 percent accurate, which is a developing story. Let's put it at that. But all he said to me was uh, five years of legal fees, but uh, but definitely worth it. And that was the only comment I got out of him. So. I all right. Well, moving on, I want to congratulate Jack Lane, the executive director of Stages St. Louis on his Tony Award Sunday night as the producer, oh, wow. one of the producers of the best revival, Stephen Sondheim's company. So yay, Jack. And my uh, review of The Karate Kid, the musical is in today's Webster Kirkwood Times first time ever they're running a theater review so shout out to that it'll be online on monday but uh it's in the physical paper today print the webster kirkwood times still does print and yes. uh, we're excited about that also uh, speaking of the local theater community this is your last week for much do about nothing i'm going it's, sunday night oh it's so wonderful it's shakespeare glenn uh the normal heart is at Stray Dog. My review of that is at poplifestl.com. And uh, it's very powerful. And we had the guys on last week to talk about it. So <laughs> it uh, definitely is worth your time. You're in town resumes tonight at New Line Theater because last week they were shut down because of the COVID outbreak in the cast. We have had COVID outbreaks in the theater community. Uh, Suki Peters has postponed Cherokee Street Theater's parody of Kill Bill to the fall because of a cast COVID outbreak. Uh, the Kirkwood Theater Guild's Singing in the Rain had to be shut down because at least seven people in the cast had COVID. Oh, geez. So it's still let here. Me, let me. It's a thing. It's not going away. Oh, yeah. Now, let me uh, leave you with a story because it was on this date in 1990, 22 years. No, tw oh, it was 1990. Um, I was in Los Angeles doing the junket for the adventures of Ford Fairlane. Oh, my God. All right. Now, we, I know. So we've explained this to people before. The movie studio will fly you and, and about 150 critics from all over the country. They fly you into Los Angeles on a Friday afternoon. They have a little cocktail reception for you. Then they put everybody on a bus. They take you to the theater. They show you the movie. And then you get up the next day and you're handed a sheet of paper. And you have the list of all the interviews that you'll be doing throughout the entire day. Start about eight o'clock in the morning. You, you interview this star and then you have like a 20 minute break. And then you interview the next person. And you, do, and you do that all day. And that star, all of the stars of the movie have to sit in those chairs in those interview rooms for the entire day. And you can crank out like 60, 70 interviews in the course of one afternoon, one full day. So it just so happened on that trip that I had the very first interview, eight o'clock in the morning with Gilbert Gottfried, <gasps> who you may recall, I think played a lawyer or something, if I'm not mistaken, or something like that. Maybe I got it confused. No, that was Beverly Hills cop something or that. Anyhow, he was in the movie. 
So I got the first interview with him. And I said, Gilbert, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Sit down. My name's JC from St. Louis. Three, two, one, go. Do the interview. 10 minutes. I finish. They hand me my tapes. And I start to walk down the hallway. And you feel the presence of somebody. And I turn around and it's Gilbert. And he's walking down the hall behind me. And I just sort of look over my shoulder. Hey, do you know where I can get a cab? Who I, do I, who do I talk to? And I'm like, Gilbert, you got to go back there. You're going to be there until like five o'clock this afternoon. He thought he was doing one interview and going home. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is the guy who, you know, you wonder how did he miss that part of the story when they told him where he had to be all day. And then uh, I'll leave you with one last story. This, of course, being the anniversary of the OJ low-speed car chase. True story. Car dealership in Southern California had a white Ford Bronco on display up on risers out in front of the dealership with a banner below it that said, as seen on TV. <laughs> JC out. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, the Muni star with Chicago. Have you, seen it? Have you seen it, Carl? No, I saw it last year. Right. I don't same need to cast, see it again. I'll see Camelot this week. I ran into Jay Harrison G, the star who plays Roxy Hart on Sunday at the Chase Park Plaza. Uh, I'm not going to go into the details, but he was coming back from the pool and he had a mask on and he's very tall and elegant and moves like a dancer. Y'all know performers who move differently than other people. And he had a leopard print kimono on. And I just said, uh, excuse me, um, are you an actor in Chicago? And he, <laughs> and then I just told him how great he was last year and in kinky boots and everything. But I thought like, you know, if he wasn't the guy in Chicago, I was just going to be like, Okay, but uh, you can, you know, even with masks on, you can tell. It's the way they move. Yeah. Lynn, where can we find you on the socials? Uh, I am in all the socials. I'm not very good at Instagram. You got to teach me that, guys. And then uh, I am on KTRS radio every Thursday evening with Ray Hartman after the 10 p.m. news. Uh, Miller Furniture presents Lynn Van House goes to the movies. And then I am on sometimes with Jennifer and Wendy to talk entertainment every week. And I will be having the uh, Muni reviews every the next day. And then I have poplifestl.com website and uh, our podcast here, Carl. Thank you JC. so much. And JC, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks. Uh, podcast every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, we post just after seven o'clock. JCOnTheLine.com. Don't forget the thought. JCOnTheLine.com. Half hour of stuff every day. Sports on K Wolf for now, 1017. And the weekend oldies show on 1017 um, over the air and uh, K Dash Wolf. Dot com and uh, very soon hopefully in about a week to 10 days the new st louis signal again nothing there yet it's not turned on not even installed yet but hopefully in the next week to 10 days we'll be broadcasting in st louis at 101.5 we'll let you know follow me on the showgram with jc corcoran on facebook you can find me at underscore carl the intern on twitter and instagram and with mark cox monday through friday and on the weekends on X for the great outdoor show have a good weekend everybody Yes, yeah, stay safe, keep cool, take care. Have a good one. See you later. Bye.